Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Amen to that. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that song. And, and we do, again, want to hope and, and say that our greatest desire is that we would be a church who comes to know God as He is. We want to be a people who know the God as He presents Himself in the Bible, because if we miss that, then we are really missing everything. So uh, today, as we open up the Word, we hope that, that we are coming with minds and hearts that are willing to be changed if we realize what we think about God is not true to how God has presented Himself. So we're going to continue today our study in Hebrews chapter 12, so I invite you to open up a Bible there if you'd like to. Uh, We will have all the scriptures on the screen, but if it's easier for you to follow along, there's Bibles in the backs of the pews if you'd like one of those, and we um, are looking forward to what God has for us today. Now, over the last few weeks, as we've studied this letter of Hebrews, maybe you've come to realize and, and would agree that there is parts of this letter that are pretty difficult to understand, right? Hebrews is kind of a, an intense letter, and, and sometimes the way things are worded and described, it makes it difficult for us in our day and age to figure out what the author is actually trying to communicate to us. Uh, but I want to encourage us just to remember that even these passages that are difficult and challenging or those ones that we're unfamiliar with, that even those passages are incredible important. Scripture tells us that all Scripture is given by God and is profitable for us. So even these ones that we have to wrestle with, I hope that we're willing to put the time and effort into that because God has something for us even in those difficult passages. And so I want to remind us today to not make light of the fact that the God of the universe has spoken to you. The God of the universe has a message for you today that He wants you to know. I think it's very easy for us to just become comfortable in church and comfortable with the Scripture, and we just kind of lose sight of that reality that the God of the universe is still speaking today. And in this morning, even in this text that you're probably not very familiar with, God has a message for you. So I want to go back and remind us what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, okay? These were people who for a lot of their life had practiced the Jewish religion, But after Christ came to earth, these people had chosen to place their faith in Jesus as that promised Messiah. Now, not all people who practiced Judaism saw Christ in that way, but a number of them did. And so this letter was written specifically to those Jews who had placed their faith in Christ and were now following Jesus as the promised Messiah. Well, as you can imagine, life didn't just get easier for them when they made that decision. The world around them and the relationships around them were trying to bring them back to the old ways, right? If you think about it, if this individual left what they had always done and now moved to this new worship of Jesus, that is a significant change. That would have a lot of ripple effects in their relationships with their families and all of that. And so these people were being pressured to move on from Christ and to come back to what they knew and what they were comfortable with. And so throughout this letter, the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage these Christians, don't give up. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better. Whatever you face in life, continue to press on because Jesus is the answer. And so maybe for us today, you know, maybe we don't feel those kind of pressures and we don't necessarily feel like, I think I'm just, you know, this week I've really just debated on just giving up on Christ Maybe some of us have felt that at different parts in our life. I think that that's more common than we probably want to admit. But I think what's far more common is for us to say, you know what, there's this one part of my life that I think I'm kind of ready to give up on. 
there's this one part of my life that I'm really not ready to give to the Lord, and there's this one part that I think, I, I, I think I'm just going to pull back on it. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes in, in this battle of living out the Christian faith, we can become very weary. We can become very weary when we don't find quick victory over those sinful temptations. We can become very weary when the circumstances of life make it seem like, God, where are you? And we can become very worried when the relationships around us and those who are supposed to love us are actually encouraging us to move farther from the Lord. And so sometimes that weariness is just overwhelming. And I think that is a message that's applicable to a lot of us today. And that is what Hebrews is written to, and that is what the message that God has for each of us today is about. When you feel weary, when you feel discouraged, and you feel like giving up, keep pressing on. So here we're going to start out, and I want to read our full text from Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 25. And I invite you, if you can, and you're willing, you're able to please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. This is God's word to us. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore... Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you care enough about us to give us your word in a written language that we can hear and understand with our hearts and our minds. Father, I thank you that you are a God who desires to be known. And Father, this is a passage that presents your character in a way that maybe makes us feel a little uncomfortable or a little uncertain. But God, we want to know you as you are. We don't want to know you for what we create you to be in our minds. We want to know you for the God who you are. And so I pray today, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that your spirit would do what only he can do in the lives of each individual here that you would help us to take this truth and accept it as true and to apply it to our lives. May you guide the discussion of your word, and may you encourage any out there who feel discouraged or weary today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we break down this text, and I tried to kind of warn you, it's a little bit of a mouthful of a text, and probably very few of you would be like, oh, that's just one of my most favorite passages in the New Testament, because it's just, it's kind of dealing with some topics that are a little bit strange and unfamiliar to us, and, and we want to always remember as we read Hebrews that this was written to people who knew and understood the Old Testament in a way that very few of us do today. It was written to people, when they would hear these references, they automatically could put it in a context of what he's talking about. And today, that's pretty hard for us, and so sometimes we kind of stumble through some of these passages wondering what he's really talking about. Well, as we look at this today, I want to break this text into three main ideas, okay? Three ideas that will kind of guide our understanding of this. And so in this text, we see a calling, a warning, and a response. And so those are the three ideas we're going to look at. And so first, we're going to start out with this idea of a calling, what is it that God wants us to do in light of this message that we've heard, right? In light of feeling discouraged, what does he want us to do? 
And so last week, as Rance uh, spoke from the previous verses, we realized that, that the Spirit was giving us this picture of th- this event in the history of Israel. But as he explained that story, he didn't actually tell them to do anything. He just was bringing this story to mind. And so now this is really a culmination of what we studied last week, okay? That's kind of saying, in light of what we just learned about, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. When you're feeling weary and you're feeling discouraged, this is what you need to do. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Very simple command, A very simple calling, a very simple thing that God says, this is what you need to do when you feel like giving up. Do not refuse him who speaks. Now, the problem is when we really are feeling discouraged, this is very counterintuitive. Because when we're feeling discouraged about our relationship with God, usually God's the one we blame for it, right? If I'm feeling discouraged, it's because, well, God didn't fix this problem. God hasn't taken this away. God hasn't resolved this issue that I've prayed for. And so very often when we're growing weary, the first thing we do is refuse the one who has spoken. Now the author here is trying to help us recognize that is a very foolish response. Because refusing to hear him who has spoken doesn't help you overcome your weariness. It's going to continue to drive you down this path that's moving you away from the Lord. Now this, is, this idea of God speaking is a really prevalent theme throughout the letter of Hebrews. Maybe you remember how this whole letter begins in chapter 1. The whole argument of Hebrews begins in this way. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world's. So here we see this reality and what the author of Hebrews wants them to remember. When you are discouraged, remember that God has spoken to us in a very profound and important way. So throughout the history of the Jewish people, God spoke to them in a number of different ways. God would use the prophets and he would send a message to a prophet who would tell the people. God would sometimes speak through angelic messages and he would send this angel with a message for the people. We know God speaks through creation, and God has spoken through donkeys, and God speaks in very unique and creative ways. But here he spoke in an ultimate way. Here he spoke in a unique way. Here he put the exclamation mark on all that he wanted to say, and he did it by sending his very own son. This was the ultimate way that God could communicate his heart and his desire for his people. And here is how the author of Hebrews wants us to understand how significant this is. In the next chapter... He says this, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him? Do you hear the argument being made here? Hebrews often does this kind of lesser to greater idea, okay? And this is what example of that. He said, look, the messages of angels were important, and when the children of Israel disobeyed those, God justly punished them. Well, what should we expect to happen to us if God has now given us this ultimate communication through his son, and we reject that? Well, in a much greater way, we should recognize God is going to take that very, very seriously, God always takes the rejection of his word very seriously, but now, especially as he sent his own son to communicate to us, to reject him 
is a very, very serious reality. So God wants us to take this calling seriously. Listen to the one who has spoken. Do not refuse to hear him. Now, as it talks about Jesus speaking, we could go back and look at the Gospels and think of a lot of things that Jesus said. There's a lot of messages that that Jesus communicated, but there's one message in particular that every Gospel kind of says, this is how he started his ministry. This is kind of the first thing that Jesus did when he came onto the scene. He says, look, this is what I want you to know. And it was something like this we see in Mark chapter 1. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was one of the most significant messages that Jesus really came to tell the world. The kingdom of God is now at hand and now I'm calling on you to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, when we hear this word kingdom, probably the first thing that comes to our mind is like a country or a nation or some, uh, you know, strong group that has their own little area. But God's kingdom is different than that. God's kingdom isn't, isn't defined by a place. God's kingdom is really defined by God's authority. So when Jesus says God's kingdom is at hand, what he's saying is the time of God's authority is now here. You guys have rejected God's authority for a long time. Well, God is here and God is establishing this kingdom, this, this, these group of people who are saying, I am going to live in submission to God's authority because God is the rightful king and God does have the right to have all authority over my life and over this world. And so Jesus was calling these people saying, I am, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm begging with you, I'm pleading with you, submit to the authority of God. And now he goes on to tell them, well, how does that begin? It begins by this idea of repenting and believing in the gospel, right? If, if any of us want to be a part of God's kingdom, that starts with this idea right here. The idea of repentance, it's saying let go of how you've always envisioned your relationship to God is supposed to work. Let go of the ideas in your mind that say, I can, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I can earn my right to get to heaven. He's saying you've got to let go of all that. None of that's good enough. There is no works that you do that allow you to be part of God's kingdom. Instead, the one and only way that you can be a part of God's kingdom is through faith in the gospel message. And Jesus would go on throughout his life to explain what is this gospel message. And ultimately, the gospel is summarized as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we enter into this idea of God's kingdom by being a a person who says, I no longer am counting on myself for my salvation. I am trusting completely and alone in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because apart from that, Jesus says there is no other way to be a part of God's kingdom. But this idea also goes on because once we are a member of God's kingdom, now we have the choice with how we live our lives. We can be a people who accept God's authority in our life and say, God, whatever you say, the answer is yes. You, you have the right to rule and to reign in my life, and I will follow you with whatever you say. Or we can be people who reject that message and don't listen to that. Did you notice that back in Hebrews chapter 2? What was the warning to these people? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, this warning here is not just written to unbelievers who have never received the message of salvation. It's also written to those who have received and accepted the message of salvation But now they're choosing to neglect that. This word neglect means to kind of push aside, to forget about, to make light of. Have you ever done that in your life? 
Have we ever had those moments where, where we fail to actually live out the reality of our great salvation? Or we're willing to accept the message of salvation, but we don't want to, we, we just kind of tuck that off into a little corner of our life. That's, a, that's, a, that's how we neglect this salvation. We say, I don't take this seriously. I don't care about it. I don't care about God actually being the authority of my life. I just really want this free gift. But the author of Hebrews here is reminding us, don't think and don't live that way. That is not what God has for his people. Listen to his word. Do not neglect him, but listen to what he has for us. So now we move on to the warning that we see in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? So here again, we see this lesser to greater argument. At the beginning here, he's, when he's talking about how, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, this they he's talking about is going back to who we looked at last week. This is going back to that generation of Israelites who God brought out of the land of Egypt. So if you remember that story, God's chosen people found themselves slaves in Egypt. But God didn't forget them in this place, and he came to them. He says, I am going to free you. I'm going to make you a special people. I'm going to make you my holy people, and I'm going to give you a land and a place where I'm going to establish my kingdom. And so God brought them out of Egypt. And while they're wandering around in the wilderness and they're struggling to trust this God who just freed them, God brought them to Mount Sinai. This is what we looked at last week. And while they were at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. And the purpose of the law was to say, this is how my kingdom looks. If you want to be my chosen people and my special people, this is how you are to function. I want you to obey all that I'm telling you. Well, as God was giving that command, do you remember what happened? It said the mountain began to shake. And the people, when they saw what was happening, they moved back in fear because they said, the presence of God is so overwhelming, and we, we can't even imagine coming close to this just and holy God. And you would think that that moment would have burned so deeply in their mind that they never would have forgot it, and they never would have refused to hear him again, and yet very quickly, the Bible tells us what they did. They gathered all their jewelry, and they melted it down, and they made a golden calf, and they said, Israel, here is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you see how foolish and crazy that was? They just heard and saw and experienced the power of the true God, and instead, they wanted a God they felt safe with. They wanted a God who they were comfortable with, a God who they could control, and a God who they could define. But God says, this is not what my chosen holy people are to be like. And as a result, they experienced years of punishment and they experienced the justice of God because they refused to listen to the one who was speaking. So the author of Hebrews here is arguing, helping us to see, look, this generation got what they deserved. They heard the voice of God and they rejected him. What's gonna happen to us? If we have heard the ultimate message of Jesus Christ and the Jesus Christ who is now ascended and is sitting next to his Father in heaven and he's continuing to speak and to proclaim his gospel to the world, what happens to us if we turn away and reject that one who has spoken? This is a very serious warning and this is something that, that, that the author of Hebrews is begging these people, do not take this lightly. The warning goes on. 
as it explains this greater warning, this greater reality that we need to think about. This voice from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are, that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, again, the wording of these verses is pretty challenging, and it's hard for us to, to kind of grasp what he's saying here. But again, it's one of these lesser to greater arguments. So he's taking their minds back again. Do you remember when the children of Israel were standing right at the mountain and the mountain was shaking? Now, throughout the Bible, we see this idea of shaking or quaking or earthquakes, and it's always tied to this idea of God's full glory on display and God's justice being demonstrated. So he's reminding these people here, look, there was a time when God's justice and glory were so clear that the earth literally began to shake. But he says there's coming a greater shaking. There's coming another time when God is going to come and he's going to shake this world again. And now he's trying to help us see, he says, look, this is what happened in the past, but there's something coming in the future that you need to be ready for. As intense as this moment was, there is coming something that's going to put that, that, that's going to make that pale in comparison. There is coming a day when God is going to shake not only this earth, but also heaven. And what he's talking about is this future reality when God's kingdom is fully revealed. When God comes as the king and he comes and he creates a new heaven and a new earth, and he establishes his kingdom fully and finally when all sin is taken away and all the people will finally live in full submission to the rightful authority of God. Now, that is a great day that we look forward to with eager anticipation. But the author of Hebrews wants to remind them before that day's here, there's this event that's going to be absolutely terrifying. There's this event where God is going to take the earth and he's going to shake it. And it's all going to fall away except for this one thing is going to remain, and that is his kingdom. His kingdom is the one thing that will not be shaken. His kingdom is the one thing that will not fall apart and collapse when everything else does. I don't know about you all, I really have always loved to play in the mud, right? I remember as a kid, I had a grandma who, she was a baker, and she had all these like weird things in her kitchen, right? We didn't do a lot of baking at my house. That wasn't really our jam, so we kind of had the basics. But you go to grandma's house, and she has all these like weird utensils, and what was so fun about Grandma is she would let us just go into her kitchen and just take whatever we wanted, all these cool hammers and spinners and whatever they were, and we'd take them outside and we'd get a big bucket and we'd fill it with dirt and then we'd cover it with, with water and we'd make mud and then we'd use all Grandma's really nice kitchen stuff and just have a great old time. Well, I want you to think about this. Pretend with me you take a marble. Okay? You take something solid, you go outside and you pack it, this mud around it and you let it dry out. Now you've got this nice big ball. What happens if you go the next day and you start to shake that, you start to peel it apart, you start to throw it down on the ground? All that mud, all that dirt on the outside just starts to fall away. It just starts to go away. It just starts to, to be removed. And all you're left with at the end is this little marble that was left in the middle. There was one reality in the center of all this other stuff. When all this other stuff falls away, there's one thing that's solid and secure in the middle. And so the warning of Hebrews is telling us, look, there is coming a day when everything that we see, everything we experience is going to be shaken. And all of the, the stuff of this world, all of the, the circumstances that frustrate us, all the pain that we go through, all of the, the difficulties of this life, 
they're going to be gone. And all that's going to remain is the reality of God's unshakable kingdom. And so here's the warning. Are we ready for that day? Are we ready for the day when God will shake the world and reveal what was, what was, unsh- what was shakable and what was unshakable? Are we living now in a way that is getting ready for that future, unshakable, immovable kingdom? But Hebrews doesn't leave us just with this kind of fearful picture of what's coming. He also offers us this message of hope. Because even though everything's going to be shaken and the world's going to fall apart and all this stuff that seems so important now is going to fade away, the things which cannot be shaken are going to remain. God's kingdom will remain. There's nothing this world can do to change that reality. And so the question for us is, what in the world does that mean for us now? You see, we now have the choice of which kingdom do we want to live for? Which kingdom do we want to focus on every day of our life? Do we want to focus and build our kingdom on this little layer of dust that's one day just going to fade away to nothing? Right? Of course, we would say, well, no, that would be very foolish. But think about all the ways that we really do live and build for that kingdom. Living for my own desires and pleasures and dreams above God's authoritative right to my life, I'm building up and living in this kingdom that's one day going to fade away. Living with myself as the authority and rejecting God's rightful place in my life, I'm living and building in this kingdom that's one day going to be shaken and there's going to be nothing left. You see, the things that we do in life, the things that we build in life that are apart from God, none of it's going to remain. None of it's going to be left. We may pursue the greatest joys on this world. We may give everything we have to achieve our dreams and our visions here on this world, but one day... It's all going to be shaken and all that's going to be gone. All that will remain is his kingdom. So what that means for us is that gives great significance to our lives and our decisions today. Because we can live here and now in light of that future reality. We can make choices today that's saying, I'm not going to live for this, 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 this temporary stuff that is, I'm feeling. I'm going to live for the one thing that's eternal. I'm going to live my life now under God's authority like I'm going to forever one day when, he, when his kingdom finally comes. When you feel weary and you feel like giving up, don't quit. Keep up the fight because the decisions you make have eternal significance. When it feels too heavy, the choice to keep press on in faith or the choice to quit is a choice to build up the kingdom that will fade or the kingdom that is eternal. So how do we respond to this reality and this warning? We don't want to miss this. We don't want to be people who get this wrong. Verse 28 tells us the response. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I want to pause there for a minute and just explain what's happening here. Now, for you grammar nerds, this is a present active participle, okay? That probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but but this is a very significant reality. The way that this is structured right here is really important. Because he says, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. That means you've started to receive it now, but you have the opportunity to receive it in an ongoing, unfolding, continuous, never-ending way. You see, God's kingdom is not something that we just drudge through life and one day we'll get it. We can start to have it now. In the midst of the craziness of this world, we can experience God's kingdom now. And the more we live for that kingdom and the more we follow that kingdom, we're going to experience it in a deeper and a deeper and a more significant way. 
until by God's grace, when we have pursued Him and we faithfully look to Him, God's kingdom becomes more of a reality in our lives than all this stuff that we see around us right now. We make a big deal about this idea of the abundant life here at this church, and Jesus made a big deal saying, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. This is it. The abundant life is tied to this reality. The abundant life is one who is living in light of God's future kingdom now. The psalmist describes the person who lives this way. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The one who chooses to live this way now, they don't get destroyed by the circumstances of life. They don't get so discouraged by their failures that they quit. God says, as you continue to walk in faith and trust me every day of your life, you are like this immovable mountain. You are this unshakable kingdom. How many of us would describe our lives in this way that my life is unshakable? I think we would all love for that to be true. We would love for that to be our reality, but it doesn't happen by accident. But God says it is available to you. This doesn't mean you never hurt. It doesn't mean you never grieve, but it does mean when those devastating events of life come, you are able to face them with an unshakable confidence in our God. So how do we respond to this reality? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Now, a lot of translations will, 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 will phrase this, be thankful, <laughs> live with gratitude. Th- that seems like a pretty obvious response, right? When we stop and think about God is establishing a future kingdom that he says, I can live in now, thank God for that. And thank God that the difficulties and pains that we experience right now are temporary things. All the struggles we face are not going to be our eternal realities, and for that, we should respond with great gratitude. So let us have grace. Let us be thankful by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, this is where the passage seems to kind of take this turn that we really maybe don't know what to do with. And Rance talked about this reality last week, this idea of godly fear. And this idea of fearing the Lord is a pretty confusing reality and something that we do have very skewed views on. But it's really important that we get it right because the Spirit is telling us this is one of the keys to actually enduring when life is hard. One of the keys to pressing on when we feel like giving up is this reality of the fear of the Lord. Now, when we think of fear, we typically think of something that we hide from, right? If I'm afraid of something, what that means is I don't just walk up to it, right? I'm not, I'm not that brave. I know some of you guys are studs and you would do that, right? When there's something I'm afraid of, I try to hide. I walk away. I move away from it. And do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam chose to sin? He hid. And God called for him and he said, Adam, where are you? And he said, when I heard your voice, I was afraid, Adam experienced a feeling that he had never had before in his relationship with God. Because of his brokenness, now all of a sudden, he was afraid of God in such a way that he was moving away from God. He wanted to hide from God. He didn't want to be in God's presence any longer. But the fear of the Lord is not something that's supposed to push us away from God. The fear of the Lord is actually something that's supposed to pull us towards God. Now, that is a significant distinction. 
And it's one that's very clear in Scripture. And, and the prophet Jeremiah gives a lot of insight to this. So as God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he's talking to his people, look how he describes this. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Do you notice how God himself describes this idea of fear? He says, I'm going to give them this fear. I'm going to put my fear in their hearts, but I'm going to do it for their good. Now, when you think about Adam cowering down behind the bushes, afraid to hear God, that wasn't good. That was broken. That was a fear that was the result of Adam's sin that was pushing him away from God. But God says, my fear is not to be something that pushes you away. It is to be something that pulls you in. It's something that is to to keep you from ever departing from me. Now, that's a great idea, but what does this look like for God to put this fear in our hearts? And he tells us in the next chapter, this city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them, and they will tremble with awe because of all the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. So God is describing here what he's going to do for his people. I'm going to make them a city. I'm going to establish them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to prosper them. And as a result, all the other nations are going to look not at my wrath, but at my goodness. And when they look at my goodness, it's going to cause them to stop and to tremble with awe because of all the goodness that they see in the lives of my people. This is an amazing reality. How do we help grow the fear of God in other people? It's not by telling them they need to cower down like Adam. Instead, it's when we demonstrate the goodness of God in our lives. When, when people are able to look at our lives and our marriages and our church family and say, God is doing something very good and special in their lives, other people are just stopped and they're in awe. And they say, whatever God is doing, God is a real God, and God is a just God, and God is a holy God, and God is a good God. See, this understanding of fear doesn't push people away, it pulls people in. So we want to be a church that grows deeper and deeper in our knowledge of the goodness of God. Because the more we understand the goodness of God, the more we will never leave Him, even when times get hard. You see, it's this godly fear that actually gives weight to our idea of love. Let me flesh that out a little bit. One of the illustrations we use a lot around here is we can say, well, I love my dog, I love my spouse, and I love God. Now, all three of those statements can be true. All three of those statements are fine to make, but when you kind of put them together, it kind of makes you feel a little bit like, ugh, right? Like there's just something off with that statement. Godly fear is what makes that make sense right? It's, okay. it's, it's fine to have a love for your dog, but there's a different love for your spouse because your spouse is created in the image of God. Your spouse is very different than an animal. There's something very different about that. And there is something very, very, very different about our God and about any person on this world. It's the fear of God. It's the wonder and awe at His magnificence and His goodness and His glory. 
that gives our love for him such a magnificence and such a depth and such a richness. And now we get to this last verse of Hebrews 12. We want to respond with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Now, as you're explaining God to your friends, I think probably you're, you're more likely to go to 1 John and say, well, God is love, right? That is how God defines himself. God is love. We love that verse. It's a verse that gives us great comfort. I don't know how many of you have ever quoted Hebrews 12, 29 to your friends and say, well, what's God like? God is a consuming fire. But we want to know God as He is, not as we want Him to be or not as we think Him to be. We want to know God as He is. And God is love, and God is a consuming fire. These two ideas are not in competition. He's not 60% one and 40% of the other. He's not sometimes one and sometimes the other. God is love, and God is a consuming fire. But what are we supposed to do with this reality? When you think of God being a consuming fire, there are two very different responses that can come to our mind. For those of us who are living for this kingdom that's shakable and one day falling apart, when we think about God as a consuming fire, rightfully, we are afraid and we go to hide. Because we say, I understand the justice and goodness of God, and I understand that I'm living in a foolish way, and one day I'm going to have to answer for that. Maybe when you hear this reality that God is a consuming fire, that's how you feel. And if that's where your life is at right now, that's a good thing that you feel that way because God is not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God to take lightly. He is not a God to play with. He is a just and a jealous and a holy God who we need to take very, very seriously. But if you are choosing now to live for God's future kingdom, if you are choosing now to submit to the authority of God in your life, not perfectly, but you're moving in that direction, and you're willing to allow God to reveal things in your life that need to change, and you say, God, I want to be the man or woman you would have me to be. Do you know what you hear when you hear this reality that our God is a consuming fire? We can respond by saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that this is who you are. Because since you are a consuming fire, you're going to help me get rid of all the areas of my life that I need to get rid of. Because you want me to experience more and more of your kingdom now. Thank you, God, that you're a consuming fire because all of this heartache that I'm going through right now will not be my eternal reality. See, if we're living for God now, we hear this and we respond with even greater awe and greater thanksgiving because we want God to be this. But when we choose to reject the one who has spoken, when we choose to not listen to his word, we rightfully cower back in fear because that is not a God that we want to face. So our God is a consuming fire. This is a very serious warning in Hebrews chapter 12. It's a warning that we do not want to take lightly, but it's also meant to be an encouragement that motivates us to press on when we feel like giving up. We do not want you to be men and women who feel like Adam who feel like you have to hide from God. We want you to be men and women who are prepared for this day and who can look at God as he really is and not be pushed away, but be drawn more and more into him because he is a good, a just, and a loving, and a holy, and a righteous God. May we be a church that continues to draw in more into the reality of who he is.
So I don't know which reality came to your mind as you think about God being a consuming fire. If that's an idea that causes you to hide in fear, please let us help you. Please let us come alongside of you and help you to understand God as He is so that doesn't have to be how you view God for the rest of your life. And if you hear this reality that God is a consuming fire and that just gives you a greater awe and an eager anticipation of that future day, keep it up. Keep pressing on in faith, brother and sister. When you feel tired, keep pressing on because our God is a consuming fire. And for that, we greatly rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is so relevant and practical to us today. God, the battle remains the same. Will we listen to your word and trust you? Father, I thank you that you are a just God. I thank you that you're a God who doesn't just overlook sin, but God, that you justly deal with sin. I thank you, Father, for your grace. I thank you for your grace because your wrath was poured out on your son on the cross so that we never have to face your wrath. But we can come to you in faith, and we can receive your grace and your mercy, even though it's nothing that we would ever deserve. Father, I pray for all the hearts and the minds of the people here. I pray, Father, that we would be people who growingly accept you as you are. And I pray if there's any here who feels right now in life that they need to back away and to hide from you, God, I pray today that that would change. And God, if there's any out there who's struggling and feels like giving up, may this, may this encouragement and this warning urge them to press on and to keep up the fight because this matters and these decisions are serious and important. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.